0: Now we're going to talk about something a little... Another heart matter. But it's a matter of the physical heart. The cora core, The heart. The core of the matter. And that's what we're going to get to. And you know, can you imagine, and as I sit and listen to Dr. Handyside's talking, and I, I'm always blessed by this talk. Can you imagine a young man and a young woman sitting together on, uh, on the beach? And they're probably not, they're at a stage where they kind of just bring the arm on the shoulder, the hand on the shoulder. And he says to her, I love you with all my pump. Pump. The heart is but a pump. Playing on words, you see. And I play on the words because Christian Barnard. Do you know who Christian Barnard was? Heart, Heart transplant from which country? South yeah. Why well, yeah, this is? <laughs> he studied. He studied at Pretoria. <laughs> <laughs> he worked in Cape Town. And Dr. Handyside spent a few years in Cape Town before they kicked him out and he went to Edinburgh. I mean, (laughs) before his family moved to England and then he went to Edinburgh. And uh, he. I'm from the other university in South Africa, and Cape Town and the Vidvatisrand universities were the arch rivals for the top position of which university is the best. And Chris Barnard was asked the question one day, how do you do all this work, this intricate work with a, with a fancy, wonderful heart? He said, the heart is just a pump. The heart is not just a pump. The heart is one of the most amazing, wonderful organs created by a wonderful gracious, caring God. And as we talk, we're going to have a very brief time this morning talking about just the beauty of what the heart does. And also when we talk about heart, you'll notice we use the word cardiovascular. Now people say, I'm going to go and do my cardio workout today, you know, on the treadmill and they're doing their cardio Cardiovascular, the cardio means that the heart is the central portion of the system. But it's part of what we call the cardiovascular system, and there's a vascular tree as well. So so when people have a heart attack because their arteries around their heart are sick, one needs to remember that they probably have arteries elsewhere in the body which are sick as well because it never occurs in isolation. Someone has a stroke, you best believe they probably got disease here in the arteries of the neck, arteries around the heart perhaps, down in the legs, to a greater or lesser degree, but the, the cardiovascular system is sick when that kind of thing happens. And what we really want to understand is certain terms like cardiovascular system. The system includes not only the heart, but every portion of the circulation. We'd like you to understand what circulation is, how the blood courses around through the body, goes from the left side of the heart through the body, supplies the organs with blood, and then comes back to the lungs and then back into the heart and out again. There's no way that you're going to become familiar with the anatomy of the heart in 40 minutes. But we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then you should understand that, that the heart generates things like blood pressure. So when you read your notes, we're not going to talk about this all now. When you read your notes, those are the things you need to pay attention to. And um, so we want you to understand that cardiovascular describes heart and all the blood vessels of the body. And the blood vessels are sometimes referred to as the vascular tree. Now, you can understand that that the, um, the heart is referred to as a vascular, the, the system is referred to as a vascular tree because if one were to take an individual, and you may have seen pictures of the Leonardo da Vinci drawings, how they first looked at this. When people would start to go and, and rob graves and they would open up the body and they would dissect it and look at it, and they saw, well, it looks like this is like a tree because the blood vessels move in all kinds of directions, up and down and to the arms, so that every portion of your body can receive oxygen. Because that's what this pump does. The pump is pumping all the time. None of you are thinking about the rhythmic pumping of your hearts. And if you're healthy, you're not aware that your heart is beating. Are you? no and that brings us to a thought when people say I'm having palpitations do you know what a palpitation is have you heard the word palpitation have you ever had a palpitation when when you get angry when you listen to the news the war oh the word of God do you get palpitations from that Excitement, the palpitations. Normally, you're not aware that your heart is beating. As you sit there now, unless you were to take your fingers, which I want you to do now, place it on your wrist, and just feel that. Isn't that wonderful? There it's going, beating away regularly isn't that wonderful and it's going and you're not even aware of it as we stand and talk and think and share and now when you do become aware of your heartbeat that is pathological or it occurs under abnormal circumstances have you ever stood now I'm not talking from experience because I don't know what it is to get angry but have you ever gotten mad with somebody, somebody or a situation? And you can be talking to someone on the phone, somebody who's not helping you with what you need help with, and you can be put through to one voice after the other voice, and, you, and you're just not getting where you need to get, and people are not doing what you... And so you start to get worked up, and you feel your heart pounding within your chest. That's a palpitation. And a palpitation is an abnormal awareness of the beating of the heart sometimes when you lie on the pillow at night you may hear if your head is in a certain direction you may hear the beating of your heart but it's something that we're not normally aware of just as much as you're not aware of the fact that you are breathing all the time but when you're out running and Dr. Handyside is going to talk to you a little while I think in the next talk about the respiratory system When you are running and you're out there trying to keep up with Mrs. Handysides walking on the road, then you become short of breath. You get awareness of your breathing. You have to start breathing in and out, and that's an awareness. But normally you're not aware of it. It doesn't worry you. It doesn't trouble you. Don't even think about it. That's the beauty of what God has created. So the heart has, the the cardiovascular system has this, organ which is the size of your fist. So let's have a look at your fist. That's about the size of your heart. You want to know the size of your heart? It's this big. So this is the size of the heart. And where does the heart sit? Anybody show me? Where where is your heart? Your heart sits a little bit to the left about this area here. And that's where your heart is. And if tonight when you're lying in bed, take your hand and put it just in the, in the area between the fifth, in, what we call the fifth intercostal space, between ribs four and five, you'll feel the tip of your heart beating. So that's where it sits. That's the size it is. And it works very hard. And the job of the heart is to make sure that it gets blood to every portion of your body. Now, have you thought about that? What an amazing feat that is. I mean, the heart is beating about 70 times a minute. Multiply that by 60 to get it every hour. Multiply by 24 to get it in a day. Multiply by 365 to get it into a year. Multiply it by 70 years, three score and 10. You get into millions and billions of beats over a lifetime. And some humorous clown has said, you only get a certain number of beats, so don't waste them on exercise. The more you exercise, the longer you'll live. The better quality of life you'll have. So keep the heart beating. So it continues from conception. And you saw that beautiful illustration yesterday in the reproductive physiology, how from... Once those cells come together from the father and from the mother and they form the baby and they start to develop and change into a a tube-like structure from five to six weeks, if you watch carefully, you can see the blood beginning to circulate and a heart beating in that little life. Quite amazing. it's controlled by a number of mechanisms the heartbeat when you're sleeping thankfully continues to beat so it is controlled by a portion of the nervous system which is involuntary We, we have no control over it when you're sleeping it just keeps on beating and when you're awake as well there are certain things that modify it when we get to exercise when you and i go walking right at the head of the pack with them on our heels, then the heart beats more quickly because it needs to produce and provide more oxygen to get to the tissues. You're gonna hear about circulation of the blood. In the 1600s, William Harvey discovered that blood circulates. It's pumped out of the left side of the heart um, and that's the left ventricle, a big, thick muscle in in the heart, which has four chambers. The heart has four chambers. It's pumped out of the left ventricle, out of this, pumped into the aorta, which is the big blood vessel coming out of the heart, and then is sent to every part of the body. Those red cells, which we showed you yesterday, which can deform and go through every, even the tiniest little blood vessels, the capillaries. The blood is pumped with a forward action because it squeezes and sends the blood out. And then with the muscles around those blood vessels and the veins, as you walk, as you, even as you're lying down, there's a propulsion of blood which brings it back through the veins, so out of the heart, arteries, capillaries, into the veins, and back into the right side of the heart. There's a right side of the heart, and then into the lungs. In the lungs, the blood picks up oxygen. It gives off the carbon dioxide, and so the whole cycle starts again. And each one of those time periods is called a cardiac cycle and in average people, in, which is the average of us here, that cardiac cycle takes place 70 times every hour, every minute 70 times a minute 70 times a minute that cycle will be taking place, providing the body with oxygen, now you can understand if something goes wrong with the pump and you don't get blood going to the head, you become dizzy. If something goes wrong with the pump, and you're not getting enough blood to the, to the feet, the feet become pale and white and, and, and uh, cold, and actually begin to rot, and gangrene can take, take place. If there's not enough blood getting to the kidneys, you don't produce urine. If there's not a, enough blood getting to any part of the Body, it doesn't function properly. So, there is a system called the blood pressure. How many of you know what your blood pressure is? 120 over 110, you're in trouble. Yeah. 120 over 110, 120 over 80. No. It probably varies 110 to 120 over 80. And I'm glad you said that because, sorry? 120 over 68, yes. Very good. Do they have anyone here to check? they They do? At the health expo? Right, so you should know your blood pressure. And it should be 120 over 80 or less. Now, how is that blood pressure generated? It's generated by the heart going through its cardiac cycle. When that left ventricle, which I showed you now here, when this is filled with blood, as it fills up with blood, the creator has made a wonderful, wonderful mechanism. He's made this mechanism so as the ventricle fills with blood, it puts that muscle on stretch. So it stretches a little bit. And then at the right time when the electrical impulse comes to the ventricle, which is produced by a pacemaker in the heart, it squeezes. I tend to show it this way, but it actually is a ringing mechanism. So as it contracts, it squeezes the blood out, pushes it into the big aorta, and it generates what we call the systolic blood pressure which is the top reading, the 120 in the normal circumstance. Once it's done its work and it's squeezed, the heart has to relax. So it relaxes. And why does it relax? Because it needs to accept more blood coming in. Not only is the blood being forced around by that contraction of the heart to create the pulse and the blood pressure, but as it relaxes it causes a suction effect, which is also encouraged by the breathing process, to suck blood back into the heart and fill it up again so that it can pump again. So you have two phases. You have the phase of systole which is contraction, and you have the phase of diastole, which is relaxation. Now, When you go to the blood pressure, you can then understand that there are two readings. The systolic reading, which is the top reading, the 120, is when the heart pumps. The diastolic reading is when the heart is relaxed and it's filling. And how is that pressure generated? It's generated by the amount of blood or the volume, the fluid in the the vasculature, so it's generated by that, the amount of volume. This, you're right? The second one that is keeping that pressure is the actual what we call tone, which is the elasticity of the muscle in the blood vessels. So there is a resting elastic tension in the walls, which keeps a pressure at about 80 so that it doesn't drop to zero. Now I want you to all stand up please just quickly, just stand up did anybody get dizzy? No No. isn't that amazing? Because you stood up from a level down there and you got up and your brain continued everybody's but (laughs) your brain continued to get blood despite the change in the gravity have you thought about that? When you're sitting down, your heart is about this level. When you stand up, it goes up by so much. And yet nobody got dizzy. Nobody felt they can. Gonna... You can sit down now. What I wanted to illustrate to you is that inside those blood vessels, and particularly in certain portions in the neck area and in the aorta, which is the big blood vessel coming out of the heart, there are special receptors called baroreceptors, pressure receptors, and they help the heart to understand through mechanisms which are amazingly and wonderfully created to know, now we need to constrict a bit, keep the blood coming up to the brain, make sure that the brain which is probably, which is undoubtedly the most sensitive tissue to depletion of oxygen. So the heart will always attempt, the body will always attempt to make sure there's a good circulation to the brain. How long can the brain survive without oxygen? Two minutes? Four minutes. Four minutes. Four minutes is the, is the real crucial time that you have for survival. Before it go you... Yeah. before they go unconscious, without... In order to survive, the brain will not last without a blood supply for more than four minutes. Then you'll have permanent damage. Before that, unconsciousness will come in, and I'm not exactly sure of exactly the time period. We won't try that now. <laughs> but you're right. It probably, probably it's within under a minute. Under a minute, people will begin to, to go unconscious, and within four minutes, permanent brain damage. So the heart and the cardiovascular system is there to provide blood to every tissue and get it there in good time, in good concentration, and keep the pressures right. And all of that is done with very, very delicate mechanisms, which, um, which have been created and which are amazing. They are mediated by nerves, the nervous system. They are mediated by chemical messengers. We talked about how cells talk to each other, adrenaline and noradrenaline. Those are the chemicals and many others. And then there are chemicals right inside the blood vessels. The blood vessels are very wonderful um, i don't know where i've got a picture of them that that's a picture of the circulation, the root of the circulation yeah here's a picture of a diseased blood vessel, but inside the wall of this blood vessel there's a a a, a tissue called the endothelium, so not only do you have the heart muscle which is pumping, not only do you have the muscle in the blood vessel walls which are helping to keep the pressure right. You've got nerves supplying adrenaline and noradrenaline to these blood vessels. Inside this tissue, which is a single, a very thin layer, just one thin layer of tissue called endothelium, are wonderful chemical reactions taking place which help to make the blood vessel either relaxed or to constrict it. And then there are other chemicals produced by the kidney and which interchange and interact in the lungs, which are there to keep the blood pressure up. Um, Substances like angiotensin. Uh, You don't need to worry about the names, but they are very beautifully made and created to keep the blood pressure up. And also to modify when we are short of fluid, when the liquids are down. And people are becoming dehydrated, or when they are losing blood and are hemorrhaging, those mechanisms come into play. I don't know if you've noticed when you are, and we'll talk about kidneys this afternoon, but all of this, all of the organ systems work beautifully together. If there's not enough liquid or fluid in the bloodstream, you start to conserve that fluid so that the blood pressure can be maintained, and so you pass less urine. So if you're out in the hot, sweaty climate and you're perspiring a lot and you aren't drinking enough fluids, you'll notice that the urine becomes a different color. It becomes darker. And that's telling you that your body is conserving fluid so that it can maintain a normal blood pressure. Now, the heart also has valves. It has four chambers. The blood flows... Do you have a question? Okay. The blood flows in one direction. You don't find that blood is flowing in two different ways. And the reason that it flows in one direction, because there are valves who are like the traffic officers, and they are directing the flow. It can only go in one way. And so the valves are there to prevent the flow back of blood within the heart and also throughout the veins. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's very briefly like an anatomic physiological survey of blood pressure, of the heart, of the blood vessels, and how they interact with each other and serve the body to make it continue to function the way we were created to be made. Supply the adequate amount of nutrients which are in the blood because if the blood doesn't circulate, the nutrients don't get to the body. If the blood doesn't circulate, the hormones don't get to the rest of the body. If the blood doesn't circulate, the glucose, the energy, doesn't get to the rest of the body. So all of that is essential. Now, why would we, in a class like this, try and help you to understand? And many of you have read this. You've done biology and so on. But try and help you to understand cardiovascular disease. The number one killer throughout the world, developed and emerging, is cardiovascular disease. And there's a whole spectrum of diseases related to cardiovascular disease. And one of the very common issues is high blood pressure, hypertension. Millions, Millions of people suffer from high blood pressure. And that's why I ask the question, do you know your numbers? And one of the things that a church can do in the community to make every church a community health center is to run a little health fair, a health expo, where people know that they can come in and they can have their blood pressure done. You can take it into the community, into a mall, into a shopping area. Obviously, you need to be organized. You need to have A team, you need to have people who can do it well. When I say do it well, you need at least one or two uh, health uh, professionals to be with you. Um, You're not going to go out and you're not going to do treatment. You're not going to go and do surgery. You're not going to go and dispense medication. But you can talk to people and you can do their blood pressure and you see their blood pressure is high. You say, you know what? You really need to go and see your physician. Oh, but I'm so scared. I'm so nervous about this. What should I be doing? Well, the one thing somebody did when I remember, uh, Dr. Handysides tells me the story at the Toronto General Conference. Someone had a high blood pressure and there was someone telling them, giving them a real lecture sermon about their bad lifestyle and why are they that way and the things they had to do and they would have to change. There was no mercy. There was no grace. There was no kindness. And if that was me, my blood pressure would have been so high because I would have been trying not to help to lay hands on them. You know, lay hands. Yes. So you want to know about the classification of hypertension. Is this thing called prehypertension a political thing? Is it a commercial issue? Is it something that we need to address? Is that what he's... Yeah. Okay. So, very good question. A very good question, because, you see, one of the reasons we talk about high blood pressure is so that we understand exactly what you're asking. When I went to medical school, which is not that long ago... No, it really isn't. It was in your lifetime. Okay. (laughs) Okay? She's a, young, she's a young lady <laughs> when I went to medical school they said to us that the top reading the systolic reading could be your age plus added to 120 ok so if the normal was 120 over 80 you could accept that 120 say you were 60 years of age you could say 180 was normal If you were 20 years of age, 140 was normal. If you were 90 years of age, 210 was acceptable. And so hypertension was differently evaluated then to what it is now. Why has it changed? Because what has happened since then, we've moved to an evidence-based type of practice. And what has been done is over years and years, there have been studies like the Framingham study Framingham is a town town in Massachusetts where for probably 40 years now they've been studying everyone who's been born in that area, measuring their blood pressure, measuring what diseases they have, looking at how many heart attacks they have, how many strokes they have, how many malignancies they get, and all that sort of thing. And what has been done not only in Framingham but then in many studies, they've been examining hundreds of millions of patients looking at what works well for blood pressure and finding that when the patient's blood pressure is 120 over 80 or less, they do the best. So from before, where they were saying if your blood pressure is 140 over 90, then you're looking to hypertension. Now what we say, if it's between 120 or at least 130, and 140, it's prehypertension. Because looking at thousands and hundreds of thousands of patients, those individuals whose blood pressure is above 120, approaching the 140, are the ones who are going to start developing problems. And often, as you watch them, those people are going to develop not prehypertension, they're going to develop full hypertension. And so it's changed from higher numbers to lower numbers just the same way as sugar numbers have changed. Before, one would accept certain levels of blood sugar as being, that's fine. It's been shown that if the blood sugar level continues to be what we would have called 30 years ago absolutely normal, on the upper limits of normal, that's where people run into trouble. To come to the question about prehypertension, hypertension, and so on, we talk about the management of high blood pressure being a twofold approach. One is a medicine based intervention, and the one is the non medical based intervention. And for prehypertension, what we do with individuals is we say, you are at risk. We don't give them any treatment. They don't pay any money. We say to them, you are at risk. You need to look at lifestyle. What are the lifestyle changes we make? What do you think we should tell the patient? Exercise. Exercise. But we're careful not to tell them to exercise, that they're going to go and run and fall over and die. So you want to check them out and make sure that they can exercise. Exercise, important. Salt. Sodium. Sodium, sodium, very important. Exercise important. Salt important. Toxic habits like? Yeah. use potassium chloride in place of salt? It is okay to use potassium chloride in place of salt, if you like it. It doesn't taste that good. But the things that I would do and what we need to do is we need to say lifestyle. So you get somebody yourself or somebody you, you're testing, they've got prehypertension, you immediately get onto lifestyle management. In fact, all of us should be on the prehypertension lifestyle approach. The guidelines. We should be exercising. We should be aiming for the optimal body weight. We should not be adding salt to our foods. We should be looking at the labels to see what sodium is in those tins, in those packets, in the nuts, etc. You know, it's interesting, for probably two plus years, to be really honest with you, I haven't added salt to my food at all. But when I come to a convention like this and I eat the food, I think, why do they add so much salt? It kind of hits you in the palate because we get used to it. And you know, people they serve their food, and as they sit down, they haven't even tasted it, putting on the salt. So lifestyle is very important. So the issues that we're going to we address when we look at high blood pressure, we're looking at body weight. Exercise, smoking cessation, alcohol, uh, cut the alcohol, Um, rest, appropriate amount of rest, drink the appropriate fluids, eat the right diet, weight control, part of the exercise is important, it's to control your weight but also to keep you going and to cut down your weight if you need to. Diet it's been shown, now here's the interesting thing that in the studies, in in very big studies looking at the management of high blood pressure there's two studies called DASH1 and DASH2 dietary interventions for stopping hypertension, DASH they showed in the first study that people who had A high vegetable and fruit intake, low saturated fat, and um, again particularly and and included nuts, had a much better management of their high blood pressure than those who had the ordinary diet. Then they did Dash Study Two, where they showed that the they cut the salt intake, and showed that those who were on less than 2,300 milligrams of sodium a day did much better in their blood pressure control and their outcomes, reduced stroke, reduced heart disease, reduced kidney problems, etc than those who took more than that. Now, how much do you think 2,300 milligrams of salt is? You, you take a flat teaspoon of salt, and halve it a flat teaspoon of salt and halve it and that's for the day that's not what you're putting on that's included in the bread it's in your drinks in your food in your cooking in all those things, are you surprised? yeah everybody's surprised but it is the truth Tinned tomato juice has got eight hundred milligrams of sodium in it. Eight hundred. Yes. What about marine salt? Salt is salt. It's sodium. You know, it's like the question. I had a wonderful professor who used to talk to us, and he would say, "Sodium is the element of the devil." And then people would, "No, it is." When you look at high blood pressure, the amount of sodium people taking, that's what he was really trying to get at. And then he would go the same way on sugar. And he would say, because God made bees. And the bees make honey. Doesn't make honey any better than sugar. Think about it. Because ultimately, all honey is, is it's sugar. He made sugar cane, and he made sugar bean as well. So we need to remember these things. So marine salt, salt from a salt pan, salt from a salt shaker. It's sodium is sodium is sodium. Okay? What we need to remember, though. Sorry, question. No. We are not... We are not saying that you must never take any sodium. But in in all the foods we eat, there's sodium in it. The problem comes in much of the preparation of foods, the canning process, the pickling process, the preservation process, the cooking process. You buy a bag of nuts... Mostly, it's got salt in it. It takes a while to get used to having these nuts without salt. So, you'll never, unless you have an actual physical disease, the body has a very special way of dealing with sodium. But the more sodium you take in, the greater your chances of having high blood pressure. And so we need to limit the amount, not cut it out, but limit it. You with me? So if one does it in a wise way and you have a a, a well-balanced diet, it's not going to be a problem. We're going to finish in just about two minutes. So it's a dietary approach, it's an exercise approach, it's cutting out the toxic habits, I like that approach, the toxic habits I wanted to remind you when you are sharing this as a health message in your church and with the community high blood pressure is what is called the silent killer you don't come to the door, wake up one day and say oh, I've got the symptoms of high blood pressure because what are the symptoms of high blood pressure? there aren't any. I would have patients who'd come to see, I'd say, I haven't taken my tablets, Doc, because my headache's not there. I'm sure my blood pressure's normal. And I'd take their blood pressure, and it would be dangerously high. Very few patients present with headaches. They may present with their first and their last symptom, which could be a stroke. So it's good to know your numbers. Go down the passage at lunchtime, take your blood pressures, Do these health expos in your churches. Do them in your communities. Be of service. Make a difference. Show people that you care. Now, apart from hypertension, there are a lot of other cardiac diseases. And another one which is very important, which you've seen a lot about, you hear a lot about, is coronary artery disease. Heart attacks. The heart attack issue. Much of the risk factors are the same as for hypertension. In addition to that is the cholesterol, the food intake. Of course, there are genetic reasons. Some people have a genetic tendency to it. But it's often related to a lifestyle or a way of life. You can read more about that. There's some in your notes. But you've been a most patient and hearty audience. And now you need to go for a little walk. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.